You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. And now, here's Bullwinkle's Corner. Today's offering is The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, suddenly there came a tapping. Is some raven come a rapping, rapping at my chamber door? Only this and nothing more. Hmm, no raven. Back into my chamber, spooky, feeling sad and somewhat kooky. Come in. Hey, you're no raven. You're a woodpecker. When will next I read the raven? I can tell you, never more. Hello, and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul, I'm your co-host, and I'm not an animal expert. I am Donna, and we are talking about ravens today. Uh, let's get right into it with the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. The headline today, a raven repeatedly says the word arse at a nature center. David and Sarah Barker were left in a flap, ha uh, ha ha, when they heard the brazen bird while out on a day to celebrate their son's first birthday at the Tilgate Park Nature Center in West Sussex, England. Of course, it's England, because that's where they say the word arse. While passing yes. the caged bird... 27-year-old full-time mum, Sarah, heard it chanting a noise that sounded just like the word arse and goaded the raven by saying it back. Here's the sound clip. She said it's the first time we've ever taken little Ethan somewhere like that and he was really enjoying himself. We were quite relieved that he is still too young to understand swear words at the moment. Is arse a swear word? Yes. Really? Yeah, well, it's a naughty word. That's worse. Is it worse over there in England than it is here? Because it's hilarious here. Um, I would I you probably would want to say it in the pub, but not in church. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) and everything you hear in the show today you can read and look at in our show notes at blazingcariboustudios.com slash ravens the kingdom of animals is fascinating now i'm going to tell you about their behavior and living pattern so come on what in god's holy name are you blathering about we are blathering about ravens today um the raven is a big large all black bird. It's not a crow, which I didn't know. No, corvid family. Biggest one in the corvid family. I, I was under the impression that ravens and crows were the same exact bird all this time for 45 years of my life. Uh, well, now you know. Now I know. Uh, yeah, much larger than crows. Their sh- tail feathers are shaped differently, and they make a much lower-pitched sound than crows, like this one. <laughs> they actually make a bunch of different noises. They make uh, something that sounds like this. 
and this is their fledgling. Does fledgling mean does that, that has something to do with babies, right? It means that they have they can't uh, they can't fly yet. Is okay. this does this mean that this is baby crows making this noise? Here, I'll play it. <laughs> Or is that just... Actually, it might mean that they just can barely fly, or maybe they're at the age where they're starting to learn to fly. Something oh, right like on. that. Okay, and they do these little honk things. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay, I didn't know if it was playing or not. Uh, oh, this is a cool sound. I like it when they do this. Yeah, that's a neat one. What's that for? It just It's just called popping. It's just a popping noise they make. I don't know. It sounds like something that they would do at night. Like if you can you picture hearing that like if you were walking around in the woods at night? I don't know. I can't. <laughs> well, they do sleep at night, so Oh, okay. That's an interesting noise for sure. It'd be fun to find out what what they're saying. It's fun to hear them in the forest when you... I've, I've encountered a lot of them in person in Yellowstone, mostly because they are inveterate beggars for food. And they have no fear of humans whatsoever. When you don't give them anything, do they look at you and say, <laughs> <laughs> No, but they definitely tilt their heads in a way like, Are you serious? Look how adorable <laughs> I am. You know. Their distribution is a little different, too. There's crows pretty much everywhere, but ravens are pretty much northern hemisphere birds, and they like colder climates. There's no ravens that actually live here in Florida where I am, and uh, you said you had some near you. We do. We have some in the mountains here in the Rockies. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's the common raven. Of course, in Australia, they have a, a kind of raven, which is the, Aus the Australian raven. Um, and in Africa, they have a variety there that has a white splash on its back, but <clears throat> they're a slightly different species. Oh, okay. So. And a group of ravens is called an unkindness. I didn't know that either. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. And a lot of people think it's a murder, but it's not. It's um, That's crows. It's A group of ravens is an unkindness. There's another word for it, too, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> that's all right. Basically, they're just a really, really smart bird. That is their... Kind of their adaptation is their intelligence, right? Yeah, they're. I mean, they have. I'm, I'm sure if we could get into the minutia of it, their beaks are probably important for the kind of hunting and scavenging that they do. They eat everything kinds of birds. They'll they'll eat whatever they can lay their beaks on. So, and maybe the way their beaks are shaped has something to do with uh, being able to tear meat a little more efficiently and stuff, but. Uh, overall, I think their most important adaptation is probably their brain power. Yeah, absolutely. So they use tools and all that. So, Yeah, I found an article that said that ravens have social abilities previously only seen in humans, and it was really interesting. Yeah, they're way up there. Oh, man, it's unbelievable when you start researching them and you don't realize how smart these things are. They're super, super smart. Groups of ravens that are together, they're always kind of bickering and squabbling about their ranking in that group because higher-ranked ravens have access to more food and resources, and uh, male ravens are always dominant over female ravens. And so that's not unusual for animals. A lot of other animals do this. Sometimes the higher-ranking ravens will go up to a lower-ranking raven, and they'll emit a specific call to assert their dominance, like, hey, I'm the boss. <laughs> and a lot of times the lower-ranking raven will submit and say, oh, okay, you're the boss. 
But sometimes the lower ranking raven will emit a dominance reversal call, and it'll say something like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. They are attitudinal little birds. Yeah, I just picture ravens as being like teenagers. (laughs) So anyway, there's males only bicker with males, females only bicker with females in groups of ravens, and there's never really any confrontation between males and females. Now, researchers, they kept two separate groups of ravens. We'll call them, like, Group A and Group B. And they recorded all these confrontations. Now, when Group A heard the recordings of their own group dominance reversal calls, the arguments they were having among themselves, they started getting really stressed out. They started exhibiting this behavior, like picking at their feathers and just being agitated, that indicated that they were really stressed out. Uh-huh. Um, the females would get stressed out over both male and female confrontations. The male ravens would only really get stressed out when they heard their own male confrontations played back to them. So, huh. so they could tell the difference like that. Now, here's the interesting thing. When the researchers played them recordings of the arguments that were going on in Group B, which were in a totally separate facility, first they started with normal audio of typical raven day-to-day life. Ravens just doing what they do. And it had no effect on Group A whatsoever. Everybody was fine. But when they started playing dominance reversal calls from Group B, these arguments, the Ravens from Group A got stressed out. Not nearly as bad as their reaction to their own arguments, but they still got upset at hearing a completely different group argue. And so what the scientists realized is that this shows that Ravens are able to create a mental representation of relationship dynamics from groups they have never even interacted with before, just like when we watch television. Right. And they haven't even seen that ability. They haven't observed that in great apes or monkeys or or any other animal, only ravens. Interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's crazy cool. Well, it's just another example that shows that they can imagine the future, which is, that's that's kind of a, a pretty complex brain function, being able to imagine the future. So Absolutely. Yeah, the thing that I looked into was ravens will prevent, they'll pretend to hide food in an attempt to distract the other birds in their flock away from their real caches because they cache their food um, for a rainy day, so to speak. Sure. And this shows they can imagine a possible future event. So they'll walk around and bluff. They'll actually bluff the other birds like, oh, oh. Oh, I'm so interested in this pile of rocks here. This is where I put my food, everybody. Not over there. Don't look over there. Look here. So they can actually pretend to be doing something they're not. Ravens can essentially lie to other ravens, (laughs) which is pretty advanced brain function. Um, And the uh, another study I looked at, they said that by training captive ravens to look through a peephole and then allowing them to cache their food with the peephole opened or closed, they were able to show that the ravens behaved as if they were being watched when they could hear ravens and the hole was open, but not when they could hear ravens but the peephole was closed. So what this means is that they're capable of remembering their own experience of looking through a peephole to see into another room, and they can imagine that another bird might be doing the same thing, even if they can't see that other bird. So it means that they can imagine. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really interesting. And But what people have been learning about animal intelligence recently is that it's more about brain-to-body ratio 
rather than pure size, right? So, And it's also the kind of cells that are in that brain. Like dolphins have huge brains, but they are mostly composed of glial cells, which are there to keep everything warm. So they don't necessarily have the kinds of cells that makes them geniuses, although dolphins are super smart. Sure. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even though they are comparatively small animals compared to elephants and people and stuff, they still have this ability to process information in a really advanced way because they've got a pretty big brain compared to the rest of their body and they feed it a lot of energy. So it just seems it's hard to compare across species sometimes because animals are as intelligent as they need to be, right? So they're really good at being ravens. They're really, really good at that job. (laughs) It's still fun to compare though. Oh, totally. Totally. It's just, I find it interesting that they use tools and stuff crazy we've got we're gonna have some videos um in the show notes this time of ravens using tools and solving puzzles so that'll be fun for people to look at so on a scale from one to ten where would you put ravens i'd say eight i had seven and a half so yeah yeah i'd put them up there it's just problem solving and social um stuff they might even be a nine i just think there's so much difference between that nine and ten you know yeah. Uh, it's the thing. It's, it's a pretty big can, leap. It's a huge leap between the most intelligent and what we do, which, you know. But, I mean, that's not to disparage the animals. They're, they are extremely as intelligent as they need to be. So And I, I appreciate yeah. that you said that. They're, they're really good at being ravens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> animals are really good at being themselves, and I really I appreciated that. There's no requirement for them to be as smart as us, Uh and we're a different kind of smart, right? There's a different kind of smart required for recording podcasts and watching reality television. Oh, I don't... <laughs> we were talking. We were talking before we hit record about keeping ravens as pets, and we both agreed that uh, ravens would be too smart to have as a pet. Aside from my problem with keeping a bird in a cage, that uh, it would just be too hard to keep a raven kind of entertained and occupied and. Not so bored that it's destroying your house. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as bad as having a monkey, right? I mean, you don't want anything in your house that has an opposable thumb. And uh, ravens, although they don't have opposable thumbs, well, maybe they do. I wonder if their their claw is opposable. Anyway, they're perfectly capable of breaking into stuff and causing havoc. Yeah, I don't think they can (laughs) fling their own poo when they're mad, though. So that makes them a little bit better than monkeys. <laughs> they could probably make a lot of noise, though. And, oh, they uh, could make be, a racket. Yep, but there are people that have them as pets, but they're generally birds that can't go back into the wild for one reason or another. They're rescues, and of course, that is their life. They don't have dogs. They don't have cats. Usually, they they don't have friends. They don't have hobbies. They have a raven, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they do. So, and they would require that amount of attention. So. Yeah, I think the ravens are, they're good where they're at, out there in the wild being ravens. They're amazing. I really, really like them. They're my favorite bird. All right. So we are going to talk about pop culture. We're going to talk about uh, would we eat ravens? We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, but we're going to do it right after this message. Hi there. This is Brett Stewart from Geek Cinema Society. Are you a film lover? Do you consider yourself a connoisseur of the silver screen? 
Well, Geek Cinema Society is a weekly roundtable program where each episode we touch on a film considered pivotal to geek culture. From Blade Runner to The Goonies to Mad Max, we dig into it all. Plus, our guest each week hasn't seen that week's film until the episode. Join me and my co-hosts, Nicole Davis and David Luzader, on a spectacularly fun journey that hits your podcast feed every Sunday. Available on Blazing Caribou Studios. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hey, me and Donna, we're a couple of nerds just like you, and we don't see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk a little about where we see them most of the time on movies, TV, and video games. So my thing that I looked up for pop culture would be the most enormously popular thing right now, and that is Game of Thrones. Ravens are all over the place in Game of Thrones. They are. There's the three-eyed raven who is sort of a dream avatar of one of the characters in there that shows up to another character all the time. There's in, in their culture, they supposedly use ravens for messenger delivery, like passenger pigeons. And uh, the, there's a white raven that gets sent by the authorities to show that winter is coming um, to, the, to the people who handle that information. So, yeah, they're really important to that story. Okay, that's what I was wondering. A lot of symbolism in there. So. That's what I was wondering, because when we talked about owls, Paul said that the owls were just were were there to basically deliver the mail, and they didn't really have any like magical powers. They didn't really do much. They just they just flew around with uh, you know mail. Oh, that would be the Harry Potter series. You know, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I've never seen like much of it at all. So just um, like just briefly, if there's anybody listening to this podcast that doesn't watch Game of Thrones like I do, go ahead and explain the. Uh, I don't know, the plot or the storyline or whatever. I, I, yeah, well, I know. Ugh. That's a tall order. <laughs> what is it about? Uh, Game of Thrones is a fantasy novel about a bunch of feuding aristocratic families that are fighting each other in the face of a worldwide looming catastrophe. Okay. Are they so. are they humans or do they have a different name? Are they like... They're all humans. They're yeah. not hobbits mm-hmm. or anything? Nope. Okay. They're all human beings. Uh, different different nations of human beings. The only magicy thing that there is is well, there's some you know wizards and sorceresses. And oh, there's stuff wizards. Like that. Yeah, I mean, not they don't magic doesn't play a huge role in the story. There are occasional there's an occasional wizard you'll run into and an occasional sorceress. There's one sorceress that's pretty important, uh, but it's all couched in terms of uh, religious cults and. Um, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of mythology built into the world and a lot of uh, sort of religious conflict. And So I know there's dragons, right? There is. Okay. There are dragons, is yes. There, uh, yeah. Are there giants? Uh, yes, yes, there are giants. Okay, I'm starting, yes. I'm starting a checklist. So there's, there's Beyond dragons. Beyond the wall. There's giant, are there ghosts? I don't remember seeing any ghosts in the show or reading about it in okay. the books. Uh, there's no zombies, are there? Sort of. What? Yeah. I the was just kidding. The White Walkers are kind of, I mean, the troops of the White Walkers are kind of zombies. They are ra- risen dead, right? So the White Walkers raise the dead to help fight, to help them fight. Now they're just, so they, they're throwing darts in a comic book store now. <laughs> well, I think that's a little unfair. I mean, George Martin's been writing this story since the 90s, so that might be a little, a little bit. 
little jump in the gun there. Yeah, you know, probably. He was probably on the zombie thing before most people were. So We're going to drive off all our listeners that watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't know anything oh, about it, guys. I'm sure they have a sense of humor about it. I'm sure they <laughs> It's just zombies are super popular now, but, I mean, this is a quite old series. So. I wanted to try to avoid the Edgar Allan Poe poem for this week. Oh, you can't. Pop culture, but you really can't. So, but Not you know, possible. I thought I was yeah. going to be really clever and avoid it by talking about the Baltimore Ravens football team. Oh, yeah. Which joined the NFL in 1996. Sure. And then I found out that the name Ravens was inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven. Oh, wow. How yeah. does that have to do with football? When they formed the team, they had a contest that the fans voted on. It drew 33,288 voters to decide what they were going to name the team. And they named the team the Ravens to honor Edgar Allan Poe, who spent the early part of his career in Baltimore, and he's also buried there in Baltimore, which I did oh, not know. Oh, I see. I get it. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Are they, do they have Ravens in Maryland? I would imagine they do, probably. I don't know. I, I assume so. Otherwise, hmm. they would, I mean, I guess... That's a good yeah, question. Yeah, they probably do. I had never even thought about it before, but if that's where Poe was writing, he probably they probably do. So, <laughs> Yeah, the Baltimore Sun said at the time, they said the fans also like to tie in with the other birds in the town because they have a sports team called the Orioles. Okay. And they found it easy to visualize a tough, menacing black bird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're tough and menacing. <laughs> yeah. 33,000 people went... Yeah, ravens are badass, man. Well, they kind of are, so... Also, you know. Edgar Allan Poe wrote that thing called The Ravens, so yeah, let's call our team The Ravens. I don't know why people from Baltimore are from California in my brain. But <laughs> I don't know what Baltimore people sound like. I don't either. But that's really interesting. I, I had no idea. Yep, the Edgar Allan Poe has a tie-in to the National Football League. Wow. So we might as well play a little bit of The Raven. Do it. Yeah, here's uh, William Shatner. It's a good poem. That was one of the... Edgar Allan Poe was one of those guys that was, like, really popular when I was in high school with the kids that were the goth kids, you know, that all looked like... Yeah, well, I was a goth kid, so... Oh, you yeah. were? Yeah. Yeah. All right. The Raven was totally popular with us because it was all dark and, you know... Stuff. All right. You were that kid. <laughs> I was that kid, Yeah. All right, here's William Shatner reciting part of The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> While I pondered, weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tap. Just <laughs> visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. <laughs> Only this and nothing more. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. <laughs> sorrow for the lost Lenore, nameless here forevermore. Oh, man. He... <laughs> well, William Shatner is a national treasure. I love him so much. <laughs> He's the best. He's being so Shatnery in that clip. He really is. I just feel like any moment the whole room is just going to tilt to one side. <laughs> you know? I love that. I do too. Would you eat ravens? No. And I'll tell you why. I was thinking about it while we were getting ready to do our thing today. I think I might have trouble eating something that can talk to you. 
can it talk or is it just mimicking? Um, well, it doesn't matter. They definitely talk to each other, right? I mean, when they're doing their different calls and stuff, they're saying stuff like, I'm dominant, and hey, there's food over here, you guys, and look, an overflowing trash can, and, you know, look, a dead sheep, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But all animals pretty much communicate with each other somehow, right? Yeah, I think their messages are pretty specific, though. There's been research we didn't touch on about corvids and what they're saying to each other. I mean, they don't have words, but they have... Their messages mean specific things and, and you know, are, okay, maybe they're just mimicking a sound, I don't know, but I can remember my uncle telling me a story about him um, going hunting in the woods in Montana and he was convinced that the ravens would make mimicking noise and tease you and play with you, that they would make noises mimicking different animals and stuff like that, so... Oh, yeah, I'm going to get into that in a minute. I, I don't know if it's true. It could just be tall tales because hunters are kind of known to make up a lot of stories. But um, but the idea that they might be playing with him and making him think that things were going on in the forest that weren't actually happening just for fun, that's sort of, that's a little too smart to eat, I think, maybe, just for me, <laughs> so... I mean, they're certainly not an endangered species, and if somebody else was going to eat one, I think I'd just go, okie dokie, but I, I don't think I could personally do it. So, I think before I started doing the research on ravens, I was of the opinion that, well, they're just kind of like small chickens, so why wouldn't you eat them? But as I did the research and found out how smart they are, yeah, I would be hesitant to eat one, but maybe I would in like a survival situation if you were able to snare a raven. Yeah, but that would be the thing, wouldn't it? Can you actually catch one? Yeah, right, because they're really (laughs) smart. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? And the other thing is I would be worried about some sort of, like, curse, like killing and eating a raven. So maybe that's like a Game of Thrones thing. Maybe (laughs) the Well, you never know. I mean, the raven is the symbol of the goddess Morrigan, the Celtic goddess, the Morrigan. And she was a war goddess, so you might not want to mess with her. Just saying. Maybe one of those wizards from Game of Thrones would be like, and and whomsoever shall eat the raven. It would be one of the um one of the uh, meisters at the citadel. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah. "What in the world are you doing? Your womb will be barren. Your <laughs> your fields will not produce, and the barista will always spell your name wrong on the cup. I don't know. <laughs> Modern curses. <laughs> the toilet paper will always be just out of reach. <laughs> <laughs> and hanging on the wrong side of the roll. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, Donna. Yes. Is your brain a bottomless pit of nearly worthless minutiae like mine is? Yes. Well, let's help people win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal, animal fact, fact of, of the week. week. I'm going to have to put some echo on that later on. Oh, yeah. Um. So my animal fact is sort of an interesting one, I hope. Uh, it's about, I think a lot of people know this, that there are ravens at the Tower of London. Um, and I have seen these little birds when I visited the Tower of London, and they are super cool. Um, one story says that the King Charles II complained to his royal astronomer, John Flamsteed, that these birds were having um, 
a bad effect on his telescope. They were pooping on his telescope and he wanted them removed. And then somebody <laughs> in the court informed him of a legend that the ravens are linked to the survival of the monarchy, which had only just been restored after the death of Oliver Cromwell. So this is the glorious restoration. Um, and uh, so King Charles II decided that the ravens should just have their wings clipped and be kept at the tower to ensure their survival, and he moved his royal observatory to Greenwich. Um, and then there's another account that says that he first protected them after the people of the capital began attacking them for scavenging in the destruction left by the Great Fire of London in 1666, which sounds a little more likely. Um, but in modern times, the ravens have only one of their wings clipped, which means they can fly for a short distance, but they can't escape the fortress. <laughs> and I think that's mostly because not to protect the monarchy, but to protect the tourist dollar. I'm pretty sure that's probably part of it. So I'm, I'm sitting here picturing all these poor ravens just flying in circles. <laughs> uh, well, I think they actually like it a lot there because they get a lot of really good food. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they just play all day. They don't have to actually do any hunting, so they're pets and everything, but they are also, they're sort of halfway wild and halfway pets, so they have the best of both worlds. They get to play all day and still get awesome food. So each raven over there has a colored band on its leg to make it easier to identify them. They are also listed in the military um, as working in service to the, to the crown. And uh, they are the one of the most common reasons for visiting the tower, second only to the crown jewels. And the last fun fact about this is that some historians think the tradition of keeping the ravens in the tower is much less well-established than they used to think. In 2004, um, Dr. Jeff Parnell, who is a historian at the tower, searched the record book for the earliest mention of kept ravens, and he couldn't find anything dating earlier than 1895. That doesn't mean anything, it just means they didn't write it down, but that's, that's the earliest he could find. And also in the records, it's occasionally stated that there are no ravens left, suggesting that their link to the destiny of the monarchy might be a little... A little bit vapory. <laughs> oh, wow. So not quite as firm as, as previously thought. But anyway, yes, that's a pretty interesting thing. Tower of London, ravens, if you get a chance to go see them, do, because they are super cool. Cool. My little fact of the week goes back to the thing that you mentioned about your grandfather uh, being in the woods and feeling like he was, feeling like the ravens were messing with him. Right. Actually, ravens are big goofballs who just love to play around. They've been observed in Alaska and Canada using snow-covered roofs as slides. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, they in like in Maine they can they'll, they'll find a snowy hill and just kind of roll down it for no reason. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. That is so funny. They play uh keep away with other animals like wolves and otters and dogs. They make toys for themselves by using sticks, pine cones. Sometimes they'll go to a golf course and scoop up a golf ball and play with it or rocks they like playing with rocks nice and sometimes they just taunt or mock other creatures including people because they think it's funny ah that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> they're also these very acrobatic flyers and so they'll do rolls and somersaults in midair just not because anything's chasing them just to have fun I've actually seen that in the uh, in Yellowstone, so it is a quite a thing to behold. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. There was one bird that was seen flying upside down for more than a half a mile. Wow! Yeah, 
And young ravens will take sticks, they'll drop them, and then they'll dive to catch them in midair. So, and none of these behaviors are to gain food, to escape predators, to establish dominance. They're just doing it because it's fun, which is a really, really rare animal behavior. Only great apes and humans and probably dolphins and a few other animals actually play. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, play is one of the hardest behaviors to study and to to support, actually. So it's uh that that's really cool. That's really neat. You got anything else on uh, ravens this week, Donna? Um, no. We're gonna post some really cool videos on the show notes about various raven behaviors. I'm gonna post a video of a raven who was stealing a, a fish from an ice fisherman. <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Excellent. And then uh, I think we'll put one on about Raven stealing a fish from an eagle, which is pretty funny. So Oh, that's great. Yeah, that'll yeah. all be at blazingcariboustudios.com slash ravens if you want to go check that out. It's going to be very good notes for people to read. A lot of fun videos. Oh, I can't wait to look at them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. The Varmints Podcast is produced by me, Paul Chomo. And me, Donna Hume. You can find me at at tiny underscore rage and at dystopia tinyrage.myportfolio.com. With technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod. Go to blazingcariboustudios.com slash varmints for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. And we would love it if you took the time to leave us a nice review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts from. Thanks again for listening, and until next time... Be nice to animals. Yay. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazing caribou studios. Any one of you lily-livered, bow-legged varmints care to slap leather with me? In case any of you get any ideas, you better know who you're dealing with. I'm the hootinest, tootinest, shootinest, bobtail, wildcat in the West.